welcome to tits up when things go tits up they're broken tits up can also mean brave up and get on with it this is what we do as mothers when things are broken we pull up our big girl pants and we wade through the muck episode of Tits Up is sponsored by the really clever B-Box 360 Toddler Cup. Could be a wild one. Yeah, I think we could be here all day really, couldn't we? I think I was quite naive as a breastfeeding mother because I was fairly young. We were told, you know, by the male professor that it didn't really matter and it only had an impact really for really premature babies. And I just got really intrigued as to why so many women were having really difficult experiences. And that's kind of how I ended up where I am now. But the government hasn't invested in enough health professionals, so you can't get that one-to-one support. And the same when you come home, you struggle in the community to find the support you need. We encourage breastfeeding, but we do not invest in creating an environment that supports women to breastfeed. How are we failing women? That's not supporting breastfeeding. It's either encouraging directly that you stop, or it's putting little doubts and questions in your mind that make you start worrying about your milk supply and how often your baby is feeding and you need to get that baby in a routine and the kind of seed of doubt is there. Hello and welcome to Tips Up. Our guest today is Professor Amy Brown and we're discussing breastfeeding grief, busting the BS of formula marketing and why it matters. Amy is based in the Department of Public Health, Policy and Social Sciences at Swansea University in the UK, where she directs the research centre, LIFT, Lactation, Infant Feeding and Translation. With a background in psychology, she first became interested in the increasing global issue of low breastfeeding rates when breastfeeding her first baby. Three babies and a PhD later, she has spent the last 16 years exploring psychological, cultural and societal barriers to breastfeeding, alongside experiences of perinatal mental health and caring for babies. Amy has published over 100 research papers and is the author of 10 books, all about infant feeding and supporting parents through pregnancy, birth and the postnatal period. Her primary goal is working to shift our perception of breastfeeding and infant care from an individual mothering issue to a wider public health responsibility. Welcome, Amy. I'm so excited to be chatting to you, and I'm sure we're both going to be ranting about the injustices around mothering and breastfeeding support during this interview. Could be a wild one. Yeah, I think we could be here all day, really, couldn't we? So We could. We'll put a time limit on it. I was thinking, you know, as I was doing the outline, I was thinking, oh, and I, I'd like to talk about this and this and this and this, because Amy's got so many amazing books <laughs> that... I thought, no, we'll, we'll stick to one topic for today, more or less. Yeah. So first up, was it a tits up experience that set you on the path to this, you know, research and writing so prolifically about breastfeeding, mothering and women's experiences? Oh, gosh, I think it was all those just really challenging experiences that you have in the early weeks. And I, I think I was quite naive as a breastfeeding mother because I was fairly young I didn't really have any friends who had babies at that point. So I just thought that the whole infant feeding thing was really straightforward. I remember when I was pregnant thinking, okay, well, surely you just choose to 
breastfeed or you choose to bottle feed and and you get on with it right um, yeah I thought much the same yeah it's just, it's just what you do it, it's really easy and it, it wasn't really until I became pregnant that I probably started reading about the impacts of infant feeding because even though I'd done a psychology degree we'd kind of touched on breastfeeding really briefly and we were told you know by the male professor that it didn't really matter and it only had a an impact really for really premature babies and apart from that it had no impact whatsoever how you fed your baby um so at that point I didn't really know I read about breastfeeding and I thought okay I'm going to give this a go and for me it went relatively smoothly but what kind of really struck me is all the experiences of the women around me so I was living in an area with really low breastfeeding rates at the time and it was just like every day I'd encounter somebody who went oh wow you're so good for still breastfeeding or I couldn't breastfeed mine because or I didn't have any milk and it just became a bit odd because I was in my little bubble breastfeeding my baby and yes he woke up all the time and yes he fed all the time but to me it was kind of going really smoothly. And I just got really intrigued as to why so many women were having really difficult experiences. Um, and that's kind of how I ended up where I am now. If you kind of <laughs> take the 16 yeah. years out, and then yeah. I'm still yeah. here. <laughs> so still doing that. And it was just a real desire to try and make things better because of just so many women just having these problems and they were affected by it so much and I think that's where the psychology came in that I kind of realized that this was a really big issue it was really affecting women and that's where all the breastfeeding grief stuff came from and just seeing women every day really brought down by their experiences and wanting to kind of put that into words and and write something about that and try and draw more attention to it and hurting so much yeah before we start ranting we're not criticizing any woman who uses infant formula for any reason so you know we just do that our first priority is always feed the baby and we both know and respect you know from our experiences that for some women there will be real challenges and it obviously means that formula is necessary and for the critics who are about to jump on me not everyone has access to donor milk so I just re- I read this quote I've read this quote from you before and it says women don't fail to breastfeed they are failed by a government that doesn't value breastfeeding or invest in new families we encourage breastfeeding but we do not invest in creating an environment that supports women to breastfeed how are we failing women everywhere <laughs> how are we not <laughs> I know the mind's going <laughs> <laughs> yeah just just everywhere it, it's just when you're pregnant, you're still encouraged, you know, breast is best for your baby. Um, you really should give breastfeeding a go. Isn't breastfeeding great? And it, it's all this conversation around how brilliant it is, which some people will perceive as pressure because they're feeling really unsure about their decisions and they don't know whether they're going to be able to breastfeed or not. But all the messaging suggests that breastfeeding is so important that once your baby is here, surely there's going to be like so much support for breastfeeding because we've gone on about it so much. And then your baby's born and it seems to be just a series of small and some bigger kind of events that start to chip away and damage that. So it's things like right from the start when you don't have enough 
one-to-one -one support during your birth, then your birth is more likely to end up more complicated than it needed to be. And we know when birth is more complicated, then that can have an impact on how long it takes for your milk to come in, how many complications you might have. And then you've had your baby and you need the support in the hospital, but the government hasn't invested in enough health professionals, so you can't get that one-to-one -one support. And the same when you come home, you struggle in the community to find the support you need. And then everyone around you is suggesting that breastfeeding doesn't really matter. And can they just please give the baby a bottle? And you go out and there are all these formula adverts everywhere. And someone criticizes you for breastfeeding your baby in public when really it's just your baby needing to eat like they are. And you have people just telling you your baby should be sleeping and asking you for a good baby. And have you got your baby in routine? And it just feels like everywhere you go, that's not supporting breastfeeding. It's either encouraging directly that you stop or it's putting little doubts and questions in your mind that make you start worrying about your milk supply and how often your baby is feeding and you need to get that baby in a routine and the kind of seed of doubt is there. So you start thinking, right, I better limit how much my baby feeds and I better not feed them in public and I better try and get them to sleep through the night and maybe I'll let my partner give a bottle because they really want to. And that then all chips away at your milk supply and starts decreasing it and it creates the problem. So it's like we've got the opposite of a breastfeeding friendly environment, even though on the surface it goes on about how great breastfeeding is. Yet the reality of trying to oh. breastfeed in it is almost gaslighting women. Like You've told them how important it is, but you don't step up and support that. And by you, I mean government and policy and yeah, everybody. Yeah, basically. <laughs> well, it feels like it. <laughs> yeah. So, and then you, you have all these people who can help, but you don't necessarily know who they are or you don't know where you can go and get that support. And when you then get problems, it's like everybody turns up and goes, well, give them formula then. And you're thinking, well, you just told me a few months ago in pregnancy that breastfeeding was really important. Yet you're suggesting that the breastfeeding challenges I'm having are solved with a bottle. And you can just see in the whole exhaustion of new motherhood and parenting that so formula much vulnerability. Getting, yeah, so yeah, much vulnerability, vulnerability. formula is presented as a solution. So, mm. so, and you have written a book about breastfeeding grief. Yeah. What does breastfeeding mean to mothers when it and when it doesn't work out? What's the impact on these women? I mean, we come across it every day. I mean, me as a lactation consultant, you as a researcher, you know, these you've interviewed lots of these women hundreds of women I mean talk about the, experience, that. the experiences can be really mixed and whenever I talk about breastfeeding grief someone will pop up and go not all women are grieving I was perfectly happy to move to formula and that's absolutely great there's going to be a whole range of experiences and if you're really happy with stopping breastfeeding then brilliant but there are a whole lot of women who aren't in, in the UK. It's something like 80 to 90 percent of women who stop in the first six weeks weren't oh. ready to do so. So it's mm. the, the, the loss they feel at that. And yes, to some extent, it's about moving to formula and having to give their baby formula when they didn't want to. But actually, it's a lot more than their baby being fed. They know and you can be very, very grateful that your baby has access to formula and your baby is growing and thriving and that they're fine. 
But even when your baby's okay, it doesn't necessarily mean you're okay because it's not just about the experience of the milk. It's not just about feeding your baby and making sure they're not hungry. It's the whole broader experience around feeding and, and what you've lost. So it's the complexity of, you know, you, you needed help and you couldn't get the help that you needed. You were told this was so important, yet no one stepped up and was able to help you. It's the loss of that particular way of mothering and, and caring for your baby. And I don't mean by this that you can't bond with or connect with your baby if you're bottle feeding. Of course you can. But breastfeeding is a very specific way of connecting with your baby. It's that tool of when they're crying, you can pick them up. They stop crying immediately. You know, it's, out, block it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, it's that convenience. It's that connection with them. And you've lost that tool. And that, that's what often mothers have said to me in the past, that they were told that formula would help their baby sleep at night. So they stopped breastfeeding or introduced formula. And of course, their baby didn't sleep better at night because the baby was just waking up because they were a baby. And then they'd lost that tool to get them back to sleep again. So they ended up having even less sleep because they'd lost that connection and ability to get them back to sleep really quickly so it's about that um for me as well a really big part is how it all fits in with how we treat women and their bodies and their health and don't prioritize it so you know we know that so much more money goes into research into the big issues that affect mainly middle-aged men so there's so much more research money into heart disease and cancer which, which of course affect women too but disproportionately um, the ones that affect men get more money um, we know that there is so much so much more research and money into erectile dysfunction than there is um, anything to do with women's hormones so if you look at the amount of yep. money invested in things like um you know, PMT and more serious versions of that tiny amount compared to erectile dysfunction, loads of money because there's money to be made out of it. And when you tell a woman that it doesn't matter that she can't breastfeed, that her baby is fed and that's all that matters, you're essentially telling her that it doesn't matter that a part of her body isn't working. So if she can't breastfeed, as she would expect to, that something's gone wrong physically but you're telling her basically that it doesn't matter. We don't care that, you know, your milk supply system isn't working. And I think that's a really kind of dangerous message to tell a woman that it doesn't oh. matter. And there are no tests and you can go to a, a doctor and they'll go, oh, you just can't. And it's like, do they do that for any other function in the body? You know, you go and say, you know, my hand's not working and they'll just say, well, lots of people can't use their hands. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's, then, then you can go into you can go into culture and religion. There are all sorts of messages in different religions about the importance of breastfeeding. You have women who maybe come from countries where breastfeeding is the absolute norm and what everybody in their family and their community does. And then they can't and they've lost that connection to their religion or their culture or their community because they're feeding their baby in a different way. There's so many reasons why it might matter to someone and why they may end up grieving that aren't necessarily anything to actually do with the milk. It's, yeah. it's to do with that broader experience. And when we muddy the conversation, which some people do deliberately because they've got another agenda or they do without realising and say that when you say I'm grieving not being able to breastfeed, 
that you're judging mothers who don't breastfeed or don't want to breastfeed. I don't, it can't be further from the truth because firstly, it's a personal decision to me. My desire to do something is not a criticism of your desire to do something differently. But also it, it, it's not just about that milk. It's about the broader experience of not being able to breastfeed and how you end up feeling as a woman being dismissed and just told that none of it matters. So that's where a lot of this work for me has come from, seeing that play out on social media and seeing those, you know, arguments all the time about pressure and guilt. And I'm sure some people do feel pressured by others to breastfeed when it's not necessarily right for them, but there are a whole other load of women who that desire comes from within them. And it's like a continuum, isn't it? You know, you you grow a baby, you carry a baby, you birth a baby. You know, it's part of your sexuality as a woman. There's so much to it. There is. And talking about that more openly, I think, has, has helped. I've noticed the conversation over the last few years become a little bit softer. There are still, of course, these arguments, too much pressure to breastfeed, too much guilt around not breastfeeding. But actually, there's a lot of dialogue as well around people openly saying, yeah, actually, I couldn't breastfeed and I felt awful because of that. And people realising, and this is a really, really important part of it, just how badly they have been let down. Because I think that's a really important part of opening up about this is is not blaming yourself. When we blame ourselves, you know, the tendency is to lash out, isn't it? And say, oh, you're putting too much pressure on me. You're making me feel this way. But when you kind of realise that, firstly, how you feel is valid. And secondly, this wasn't your fault. This wasn't your responsibility. You wanted to feed your baby, but everybody around you essentially was putting too many blocks in the way. So once we start putting the blame elsewhere I think it's far easier to talk about and say you know yeah I feel terrible about this and I really wish I could have breastfed for longer Mm, and it's grief it's not guilt I mean you haven't let anyone down so you don't deserve to feel guilty it's you know I'm there probably are layers of guilt in some ways but actually I would say isn't the the strongest emotion Mm. The, the strongest emotions are often around loss and what you have lost as a mother and what you wanted as a mother and we're lucky enough you know in in countries like the UK and Australia we are lucky enough that we have access to formula and the sanitation we need to formula feed safely so it's not always about that and it's not always about the baby it's about us and how we feel and I think that's a really important part of the conversation around this it is yeah and thank you for that yeah and the thing is when we talk about people letting mothers down that unscrupulous infant formula advertising and marketing it's a big issue isn't it and can you discuss how that undermines breastfeeding in general Um, (laughs) oh gosh um where to begin with this one there are the kind of so many key points so we know that formula advertising works on some people because they spend so much money on promoting their products that they just wouldn't spend. It's something like $9 billion globally a year that is spent on formula advertising. So 
if it didn't work on somebody, then they just wouldn't be spending that money, would they? So it's no. even though a lot of people will say it doesn't affect me, how dare you? It may well not affect you, but it, it is affecting some people who don't necessarily realise what is happening. Um, one of the big issues that we've got is the claims about the impacts that different milks will have. Some of those are direct claims, you know, the suggestion that this milk will do this to your baby's brain development. And others are more subtle around, you know, people turning up in white coats and molecules bouncing around on the screen. And, you know, without naming any brands, I know at least here in the UK, we know the milks that are considered to be the best, most expensive science milks that are made by scientists and the milks that are less expensive and are the milks to make your baby happy. And that's a direct kind of strategy of formula companies. There's this really horrifying, eye-opening paper that was published a couple of years ago now that actually interviewed either whistleblowers from who had worked in formula companies or people who were happily working in formula companies about the strategies that they use to draw parents in. And, you know, it, it's it makes you sick to your stomach to read because it's things like they describe um, first time pregnant women, you know, as gold dust, that if you can get them when they're pregnant, you've got them for probably all the babies that they're going to have. And if wow. they've got no experience of formula, you've then brought that brand into the family and probably other people will use it. And they talk about the strategies about how they set up baby clubs and they pretend to care about, you know, the people who use their products because that makes them look like the caring one. And if they set up, you know, pregnancy helplines, it plants the seeds that they're the company who cares. So when she comes to choose formula, she'll then automatically go to, to them. They talk about categorizing women into groups um, and they actually color code women so you have blue mums and yellow mums and blue mums are apparently the mums who only care about their baby's future and education and they target these mums with branding which is often very 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 similar products compared to other types of milk but at a more expensive price, they, they brand the science milks at those mums. And then apparently you have yellow mums who only care about their baby's happiness. So if everybody is happy, that's fine. And they target those mums with the smiley happy baby adverts. And they put their formula at a different cost that is for a family, you know, who isn't all about the most expensive product. And it's it's just really damaging because even though people will say, you know, I'm not affected by that. Quite often they are. We did some really interesting research here a, a couple of years ago around reasons for choosing different formula milks. And we found that the vast majority of people would say, I'm not affected by advertising. Some people got quite angry at us for even suggesting that they you know, chose their baby's milk based on um, the adverts and then further down they'd say well I give my baby this milk because it helps their brain development and it helps them sleep and because it's the closest to breast milk and it's like right okay so you're not affected clearly, <laughs> <laughs> clearly it's subconsciously gone in and that's Ooh. that's really worrying because clearly people think they're not being affected but they're then literally giving slogans back to us 
And it just shows how clever the marketing techniques are. And, you know, I have to say on, on one level, you know, you're almost impressed at how clever and well thought out marketing campaigns are. And I'm increasingly targeted. If, you know, if I could show you some of the emails that I get from formula companies wanting me to do this and wanting me to do that. And I'm always so horrified that I'm just like, no, I'm not doing that. Go away. And next time I need to play along and say, how much are you going to pay me? Because that would be a That's really, a really, really good idea. Bit. I've never thought of that because I do as a lactation consultant. No. I was offered this amazing trip to Singapore to do a talk to mothers about breastfeeding for a formula company. And I said, no, thank you. But I should have. You should have. You know, and another time there was a lady who kept calling me and kept calling me, wanting me to do some expert panel thing for them for a formula company. And every time she rang, I, I had this little giggle inside me because her name was Betsy. And as a child, I grew up in country New Zealand, I had a pet calf called Betsy. <laughs> it was Betsy from the formula company with the same name as my pet calf. And, <laughs> and I just kept saying, look, what part of no do you not understand? I'm sorry, yeah. you know, like, but not sorry. Um, yeah, but. It's quite consistent and quite, and of course, because you do research, you could really give them some credibility. Exactly. It's about buying the credibility, isn't it? And one of the invites I had, oh gosh, it's about five years ago now. I had an invite. It was a very strange invite. I didn't quite know who it was from by email and they wanted to speak to me over the phone and they would only speak to me over the phone. They wouldn't put anything in writing. And they'd asked whether I would write uh, academic article and publish it in an academic journal and they would pay for it to be open access all about essentially how there is too much pressure on women to breastfeed and that women don't want breastfeeding promotion I was like but what I, 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 that's not what I hear um, and I hear that from some women sure but it's a far more complex kind of issue than that I said I don't know if I could write that and they said well, actually, you wouldn't have to write it. We could write it for you and you could just add your name to it. Oh, like, wow. Right. <laughs> okay. And they were going to pay me for this. And again, I was too shocked to ask how much. I've really got to put a note on my computer saying when they ask. Ask how, <laughs> how much. much. Stick it on your, <laughs> See, it on your computer. I, I was horrified because it was the first real sort of blatant, engagement that I'd had with them I'd had invites in the past will you come and speak for this company will you come and speak for that company but never something so sneaky and I had a invite and I've got to be quite vague about it because they did put that this was you know do not share this kind of email um but I'd had a kind of invite from this company or representative of a company who wanted me to contribute to a campaign around all the importance of bonding and responsive feeding when it came to bottle feeding and I thought you know on the one level that sounds like okay we want to do something on responsive bottle feeding but actually this is one big trap to bring you in as the expert to endorse the product because if if you think about either of us and many people in the lactation world if we put our name to a formula then that would be that's it gods for them to, to borrow their phrase oh, about yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there'd be a lot of potential money in that for them and it's just it's horrifying because I know that they must be getting people into their companies in this way 
it's just not fair at the end of the day she was a nurse she might not have been a lactation you know she wasn't a lactation consultant but she was a nurse she was American and she was a nurse and so you know she was she knew the ins and outs of who to come in and appear you know somehow associate with those brands so yes so that that kind of you know there's been all sorts of campaigns that have tried to get people to associate with formula brands in a in a way where they're not directly saying please use our formula so there are a lot of quite clever adverts in the UK over the last few years where it's they're not saying use our formula they're doing bits of research around mental health and parenting and involving fathers and all of that and kind of subtly encouraging that you should be bottle feeding or that there are benefits to bottle feeding or bottle feeding goes hand in hand with mental health or bonding or something like that and they're not directly saying use our formula but they're giving out these positive happy messages you know with the product placement handling yeah, in, in yeah. the background at all times yeah and that, that's another clever one that they use with I want to call them celebrities, but I don't know what the definition of celebrity is. Influencers? Influencers? Yeah, influencers. There you go. People on social media. There have been increasing kind of numbers of collaborations between formula companies and these influencers who have babies and, and young children where, you know, they put up photos on, on social media of them with their baby with the tub of formula in the background as if it's always oh. kept just by the fireplace <laughs> it's, it's, you look at the photos and, and you think wow okay so here's a beautiful photo of a mum and baby on a fur rug in front of the kind of hearth with the tub of formula <laughs> and you just think, this so she is stores it. it right on the hearth in front of the <laughs> yeah, on, on fire the, <laughs> on the fluffy rug by the you just think wow it but it it works because as clever as we think we are against advertising, it, it comes in subconsciously. Mm. So sometimes there's research to show that, you know, you don't always consciously clock the formula tub, although we do because we're kind of hunting down these adverts, but you don't consciously clock it, but it, it goes into your brain and then it's more likely to jump out at you the next time you see it. So when you're walking down the formula aisle, your brain automatically goes, oh, I recognise that one. Yes, and it, recognition. It, it, it links the positive emotion or kind of reaction that you have to the photo to that brand. So you see a kind of real inspirational photo. You know, you'd love to live in that lovely house and be in that by that nice fire on that fluffy rug with your lovely baby and it it kind of connects that emotion to the 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 formula oh. and it, it's really clever and, you know in some ways I really almost admire this because oh. it's it's so clever and if, if we had this in you know breastfeeding support and promotion if we could get the public to perceive breastfeeding in the same way that they do formula because of all this ad advertising it would be amazing but there's no money in it. We don't have no $9 money. billion dollars <laughs> to advertise breastfeeding. That's so. right. This episode of Tits Up is sponsored by the really clever B-Box 360 Toddler Cup. 
The B-Box 360 is the ideal training cup for little sippers and little tippers that are moving away from a spout or straw, supporting independent drinking, but with a twist. The innovative new 360 cup supports little learners to tilt and sip from a soft silicon lip activated 360 degree drinking rim so they can drink from any side of the cup. Offering flow control, the firmer they press, the more liquid will flow and fewer spills. The silicon rim seals closed when it's not in use. So clever. Easy Grip handles offer two mode function for use at home and on the go. Handles down for drinking and up to lock and go. So there's no more links in bags or prams. You can try the new 360 cup now with 20% off for Tips Up listeners. Head to bbops.com.au and use the code PINKY360, P-I-N-K-Y 360 at checkout. And see the show notes for more details just in case you can't remember that code. And then, of course, there's the toddler milk branding for those things. And, you know, it's completely unnecessary. But I have had people say to me, oh, yes, but, you know, it was a a friend of my son and he said, oh, dad says I shouldn't be feeding the kids this, um, you know, toddler formula. And I said, well, actually, it's completely unnecessary. Oh, but it's supposed to be good. It's got all the vitamins in it. And I'm thinking, I'm this young fellow is not the brightest crayon in the box, but a lovely, lovely guy and a lovely, lovely dad. And he'd been buying this stuff because he was giving his kids all these vitamins. And I'm going, you know what, honey, fruit and veggies and a bit of normal milk's really going to do the same thing. <laughs> there's, there's a very clever advert in the UK. I'm not sure if it's still running, but they use uh, an advert where they had a tiny little beaker of follow-on milk and said it, it contains this this and this in terms of like vitamins and stuff and then they had this gigantic beaker of cow's milk and said well you'd have to drink this much cow's milk to get the same nutrients as this cow's milk is missing all of this and it's like well it's not missing it it just isn't in it because you're not you meant to be getting that <laughs> and how much meant- sugar is in this tiny little cup exactly <laughs> So it, it kind of suggests that cow's milk is deficient for your baby because it doesn't have this, it's missing from it. And it's like, but it wasn't meant to be in, in the first place. You get those vitamins from other foods. And I've always said to parents, you know, if you're really worried about your baby's vitamin intake, you can give them a vitamin drop for an absolute fraction of the cost without all that sugar. So yeah. it, And without it's interfering better. with their natural diet you know once you've had one of those it's like when an adult drinks something like I don't know what you call complan or one of those milk fortifying foods that you might give to elderly people um, or people recovering from surgery that need an extra bit of protein or something but you know the the child is full they don't need a toddler milk and then they won't eat their food so of course you've got to give them more toddler milk because they haven't eaten their dinner and (laughs) they're they're on three meals of toddler milk a day I'm sure that's what they want. I'm sure, you know, in their ideal world, they want us all on this milk and not eating anything ever again, just reliant on it. And to some extent, that's there's a kind of whiff of truth in that, because I, I remember the first time I came to Australia, um, looking in the gift shop in Sydney Airport and realising they've got a whole shelf 
um, dedicated to different formula milks. And I, I was just stood there in horror thinking, I can't believe what I'm seeing here in terms of milks for older children, teenagers, young people, you know, older adults. Yes. It was just like... <laughs> We've got a big dairy industry. New Zealand's the same. And if you go to the airport in Auckland, you'll see um, a beautiful poster for formula milk right up the entire escalator, isn't it? As yes. you go up the escalator. <laughs> That there is a story about how I nearly caused a pile-up um, in um, one of the airports. I think it was it was definitely in New Zealand. I think it was probably Wellington because I stopped dead <laughs> in front of the escalator because I was just so shocked at what I was seeing. Kind of welcome to New Zealand, the giant poster for formula milk. And of course, I was there trying to get my camera out. Going, I can't believe this. And there was this queue of people. <laughs> wanting <laughs> to get up for the escalator and I was like oh sorry <laughs> please excuse me yeah, <laughs> some of those things you know as soon as you land even in Melbourne you know yeah. there's these big massive formula ads and and you just go oh my goodness yeah so or as you drive out of the airport um it's a while since I've been to the airport you know with COVID and everything <laughs> around but driving out one of the airports in Australia and I can't remember which one but there was a series of billboards like one, two, three, as you drove past, these yeah. massive billboards on your way out of the airport so you couldn't drive on another road or anything right there and they were all for some brand of toddler milk, but each one had a gorgeous toddler yeah. and, you know, the beautiful branding and, and it looked like, you know, gorgeous, happy children, but the branding was there even if you don't, and like you say, that subtle recognition, you might be pregnant or you might not even have a baby yet, but that subtle recognition is already there. But when you have your baby and you're wondering which formula and they've already built up that trust factor. Yeah. And it, it's a real issue in terms of countries and how much money they're making. We have a similar issue here in Ireland. The Ireland is very, very dependent on the dairy industry. And, you know, you, you go back to the last recession and you'll find a lot of people who say that the dairy industry helped save Ireland from recession because they do so many exports because of you know those cows on the green grass of Ireland yep. um, and they make so much money from exports so the you have the Department of Health or whatever they're called in Ireland um, trying to promote breastfeeding and then you have the Department of Agriculture in Ireland whose kind of main priority is to promote formula milk and I always remember flying out of Ireland back to the UK a, a few years ago and, you know, one of those tiny little planes with the propellers going noisily round, <laughs> and, and this man sitting next to me and just talking at me. And, you know, when you're tired, you've been to a conference, you've been speaking lots and you're like, I really don't want to speak to you. And he went on and on and on at me. And then he suddenly went on about talking about his job and he's like, Yes, I work for the uh, Department of Agriculture um, and our milk for the milk industry. And I was like, I don't right. know you had energy. Hello. <laughs> he turned around to me and said, so why were you in Ireland? I was like, I was speaking about the importance of protecting breastfeeding and the tactics that, you know, the formula companies use. And he sort of went, oh, <laughs> went very, very quiet after that for the rest of our life. <laughs> Yeah, so they, these people find me somehow. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they will. You've got a magnet. You've got it written on your forehead, I can see. <laughs> well, there's very recent, 
research, in inverted commas, by another fire formula company. We won't mention their name either. Um, and they've just published this research. And the central premise is that bottle feeding is necessary for dads. Yes, it specifically says dads, not partners, to bond with their baby. So let's unpack some of this around partners, you know, not just dads, feeding babies. Now, first, we respect that individual families will make this decision within your own family. And, you know, and some families find this works for them for various reasons, but we often hear, and not from just this research, that giving a bottle will help with partner bondings. And, you know, when families bring this up, I always say, you know, if you want to give bottles when mum is breastfeeding, the partner's responsible for washing all the breast pump parts and the bottles. Um, you know, it shouldn't be another job for the mother. But this campaign's implying not just giving a bottle, but a bottle of their brand, of course, of formula is going to help with the bonding. What are you going to say about bottles and bonding? Oh, gosh. The, this research, as we call it, um, was so problematic because it even went a little step further than that and that it was saying that two-thirds of dads didn't feel like a proper parent until they could share the feeding and that two-thirds felt they, they, you know, they weren't bonding with their baby in the early days. So it was a it's real suggestion that by exclusively breastfeeding and not allowing your partner to bottle feed your baby, that you were preventing them from bonding from their baby and preventing them from, you know, having that connection. And, you know, that, that's just nonsense. Um, if, you, if you want to... If you want, as you say, absolutely, this is nothing to do with formula or bottle feeding. If you want to do that as part of the way that you care for your baby together and it works for you, then crack on. And absolutely, if you are bottle feeding anyway, then if it works for you, that they should be sharing those feeds. But to suggest that it's the only way of bonding with your baby and really necessarily you know it can't be further from the truth or you know all exclusively breastfed babies wouldn't have any sort of bond with their father and we know what those babies are like you you know you grow them you give birth to them you exclusively breastfeed them for six months and they turn around and their first word is dada and it's like really <laughs> we you know it couldn't be further from the truth and that's because there are so many other ways to bond i just you know it is a way of bonding yes i'm sure but it's certainly not the way of bonding and there are so many other ways that you can bond and connect with your baby and to suggest that a bottle is necessary for that is just completely untrue and and for for many it's not even a really nice way of bonding because I'm sure if you have that kind of idyllic setup that's in the adverts where you're there on your nice white clean sofa with your baby who's quite happily having the bottle um then that's probably a nice experience but many babies fight a bottle or over time giving a bottle you know it's it's not the most brilliant experience it's quite time consuming and you've got to wash everything and prepare everything so why would that be the only way that you can bond oh, and, and they spit up yeah so it, it, <laughs> it, it's not the necessarily the best use of your time if you're wanting to support your partner there are so many other ways to support her with feeding um, lots of families find that they prefer to share that early parenting in a, in a different way. So they find it easier to just breastfeed their baby at night and they get a break at another time or the, uh, 
you know, the partner takes the baby early in the morning so she can have a bit more sleep or she goes to sleep a bit earlier after the last feed. There are so many other ways to get a, a better kind of Ooh. break there and, and use the time. And certainly so many other different ways that you can bond and have that connection. Interesting cuddles, but bathing with your baby popping the baby in the shower with your partner, you know, baby massage. I taught baby massage for years and I used to do one at the local hospital on a Friday night so that the partners could come. And it was just beautiful because often these big, you know, a lot of big tradie guys, you know, that were a bit anxious about these tiny little babies and next thing you know, they're taking over and I wouldn't let the mothers say anything to the dad's partners while they were doing the massage, you know, not you shut up. He's doing it, you know, like it was really, you, you ladies can go and have a cup of tea, you know, after this sort of thing, you know, and they were, they were um, really funny. And one night I said to them something, you know, how, how much have you gone? Cause it was several weeks, three or four weeks, the course. And, um, you know, have you gone and with the massaging and um, one dad said, um, I do the massage cause she's doing the feeding. And another dad said, I do the vacuuming cause she's doing the feeding. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Exactly. There is just there are just so many other ways to connect and support that that relationship. You know, out of all the things that need doing, why feeding? And it is because it's idealized that these adverts really idealize it. So we internalize that and we think, well, feeding must be really lovely and it must be a really important part. When actually there's no evidence that feeding brings more of a bond than anything else. And it even if it does bring a bond it certainly isn't a bond over all the other different things that you can do so it's again it's really really manipulative and mm. it's not about those who choose to introduce bottles it's nothing to do with that it's a suggestion that you must and that you can imagine in some families where the relationship isn't necessarily particularly good. So you give some great examples of I get to do, you know, the massage, I do the vacuuming. Those are really supportive partners, but I can really imagine the situation where a father who really wants to bottle feed for his own sake, not the broader kind of family, will put the pressure on and, and say, well, you know, you're preventing me from having that, you need to, or we should start bottle feeding because dads are important. And it's important that babies have a connection with their dad, which is one of those kind of false logic things, because it absolutely is true that dads are important and dads need that connection. But there's no evidence that a bottle is the only thing. And what happens when they're on family foods? You know, nobody ever shows that as romantic (laughs) and idealised, you know, so partners have to give them the family foods, you know. Exactly. (laughs) That'll help the bond. But I I can imagine, you know, going back to, that real vulnerability when you've just had a baby and you're a new mum and you're worried about doing it right and you can see that you've got your connection with your baby and your partner's not quite sure what to do because that's you know normal everyone's a bit like how do we care for this tiny little thing and really feeling that kind of pressure to let them give a bottle because of this because gosh it's important you also have that mother lioness that you want to protect your little family unit too because you know we've just had the baby and then when I had my first baby now that was in the 70s so that's a long time ago but all the information was around taking care of your husband so that he didn't feel left out you know it was still all heteronormative 
<laughs> language. And, you know, there was that pressure about not excluding husbands and that they'd be on the outside somehow. And so it's been happening for a very long time. And this campaign, you know, with its implication, it's almost implying that mothers are being selfish by not letting yeah. the dads feed. And talk about pressure to put the husband's needs or the partner's needs, but, that you know, they were specifically talking about dads in this research, before the health of the mother and baby. And, you know, can a ba bottle really save your relationship? Well, it, <laughs> it's not that simple, is it? <laughs> I, I, you know, if if the dad isn't bonding with the baby and doesn't feel like a parent, then I don't think that the bottle feeding, sharing the bottle feeding is going to support that. If you're really at the point where you things are difficult and you need them to support you more, why aren't they supporting you with other things like doing the vacuuming? Um, not that it's your job to do the vacuuming, but you know what I mean? Why are they not yeah. taking an equal load elsewhere? So I don't think a bottle is going to fix it, especially because the bottle involves sitting on the sofa and probably expecting you to do something else. Um, so it's probably more work for you overall. And I can, I can see where the tensions would build up that, you know, they promise to do the feeds and, they don't do half the feeds and they don't do the night feeds and it doesn't release things for you. It gives you more work overall because you end up doing all the emotional load and the planning, you know, there's so much that goes into a bottle, isn't there? There's, they're sitting on the sofa giving the bottle, which can be a variety of experiences, but can be quite nice because you're sat on the sofa feeding the baby, but there's all the working out. Well, what formula does the baby need? What bottles? Um, how do I sterilize this? How do I clean this? How do I prepare it? all that mental load behind bottle How much feeding. How the baby really drinking? Yeah, all of, all of that. So mm. if, they're just, if they're just taking over that rather than taking a broader role across caring for the baby, I can see how things can end up even worse. And, and your point there about prioritising the dads, I mean, it, it did feel that that advert could have been from 1970. You know, ladies, you need to make sure that your husbands are, are involved. Taking care of. <laughs> Yeah, but if if you're prioritizing the dad's supposed need to bottle feed the baby over and above breastfeeding, it's again that subtle message that women's bodies don't matter and women's health doesn't matter. Because I this, you know, this is on a population level, but we know that when women breastfeed, the more exclusively they breastfeed, the longer they breastfeed, the lower their risk of lots of reproductive cancers, of heart disease, of diabetes. It, it helps protect us physically. And you can't pinpoint that to any one woman, but on a population level, we know that it can be protective. So if you're telling a woman to let her partner bottle feed, and with a big suggestion that you use this milk that's handily placed in the corner of the stream, you're essentially saying that his need to bottle feed is more important than your health. It's, and that, that need is for a very, very short time. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And it, oh, yeah. It's a mess, that advert, oh. basically. Mum can breastfeed, then hand that baby to, to the partner and go off and have a shower and come back and the baby's sound asleep, so then she can have some time with her partner. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. more time for that relationship. Yeah. And it, it is such a short period of time that they're exclusively breastfed in the relative scheme of looking after a child. There is so much time to engage with that child over other meal times, but, of course... We don't talk about that. That's well, a bit messy, that. <laughs> it's not, that's not that nice snuggled up sitting on the sofa thing. But, I mean, a dad can snuggle up and sit on the sofa and 
you know, watch the footy if he wants to. Yeah. He can watch the rugby and <laughs> snuggle that baby skin to skin against his chest and he will have the same lovely hormonal things going on, you know, a bit of oxytocin and feeling lovely and relaxed and bonding with his baby. Yeah. So, and that's a lot more lovely than sitting there watching whether that baby's, you know, managing how they're managing the bottle. And there's actually more eye contact in changing a nappy than, yeah. you know, holding that baby for a, a five, ten minute feed kind of thing. Absolutely. Mm. So, yeah, but, and the other thing is, I guess, oh, sleep because, you know, formula, com it's not, and it's not just formula companies. There are people writing books. There are health professionals telling you that, you know, a bedtime bottle of formula your baby's going to sleep longer and if everyone gets more sleep then the family will be happier and you know what about the trade-offs of this kind of advice it, it is sadly because I think we'd all kind of almost like it to be true on one level sadly formula's what? not going to make your baby sleep <laughs> it, it's not magic it's in there's some research that shows that in the very early weeks of life you know when milk supply is taking time to to increase um that babies who are formula fed have a little bit extra sleep but it, it's never kind of described in terms of the actual data so they have you know they wake up at a, a level that is just not that is statistically different but not any real life difference um so when you look at it there's no real impact on on sleep there it's but as soon as minutes, it, isn't it? It's it, only yeah exactly yeah exactly so but that's only in like literally the first two or three weeks of life and once you get past that actually you we start to see all this research now that shows that a lot of breastfeeding mothers actually get more sleep overall because the time it takes to breastfeed a baby at night um, is far far quicker than the time it takes to make up a bottle and heat the bottle and settle the baby afterwards so there are lots of studies now that actually show she gets more sleep. So it actually helps with sleep at night. And our own research shows that um, after those, you know, initial weeks that breast and bottle fed babies, they, they wake up the same amount of time. Um, breastfeeding mothers feed more at night, but that's because breastfeeding is a tool to get your baby back to sleep again. You can't really make up a bottle to give your baby for like 20 seconds to get them to go back to sleep again so it's not only like a myth that the formula will help your baby sleep but actually breastfeeding will help you get more sleep overall even if it doesn't feel like it um one of the reasons is the melatonin in the breast milk you know that ease of getting back to sleep but also there's some interesting research shows that um when you when you breastfeed your prolactin levels start to rise and that prolactin is actually associated with getting you back to sleep quicker. So actually at night, breastfeeding is a really, really handy tool, yet they're still pushing the idea that formula will somehow help your baby sleep. And I suppose if somebody else really did do all the night feeds, then you might get more sleep overall, but that's only a might because um, what research often shows is that mums wake up anyway they wake up more quickly to their babies crying because they're biologically programmed to be that little bit more alert to their baby so the baby cries because they're hungry and their partner's meant to be doing the night feeds but mum's awake anyway and then she struggles to get back to sleep whilst the baby's still a you know even if somebody else is feeding them so 
there's really no truth in that. And if you really want to help a breastfeeding mother get more sleep, you help her early in the morning after a feed and you take that baby somewhere while she gets more sleep. You, you know, cuddle the baby during the day while she has a nap. There are lots of ways around it that actually mean more sleep overall rather than yeah. switching to formula. Because I, I think I used that example earlier on um, that so many mothers have swapped to formula thinking it's going to be the answer and it's not. And actually they find it's more difficult overall to bottle feed their baby at night than it was to breastfeed them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know a friend who works as a night nanny and um, she takes the baby to the mum to get breastfed and then she settles the baby. So the mum just breastfeeds the baby. She takes it and mum's gone straight back to sleep on the nights yeah. that she works. So, you know, to me, that seems really, really simple. And if you were breastfeeding, you'd wake up, your breast would wake you up anyway. Yeah. Even if the baby didn't, you know, if the baby's down the hallway, your, your breasts are going to wake you up. But that, that there is that connection. But I think the sad thing about this kind of marketing is that it actually is an insult to men and partners who are supportive. Absolutely. And I, I, a lot of dads were really outraged at this recent campaign in the UK for this, this formula milk that suggested that they needed to bottle feed their baby to bond. Um, some found it, you know, just ridiculous and kind of funny in a way that this would be suggested. Mm -hmm. But when you start digging into it, it's, you know, it's, it's really underestimating and being not very nice to men suggesting that, you know, they're, they can only think to bond with their baby by using a bottle. And, and well, if you haven't given a bottle, you've missed out on the, on the connection yeah. with your kid. Or, or <laughs> That's you horrible. Or that you wouldn't understand how to support your partner in other ways, or you wouldn't see what else needed to be doing, or you weren't already connecting with your baby in all sorts of ways. Or the big one for me was that you would put your needs over your partner. You know, I am the man, my needs must come first. Men don't think like that, but it's it, it's suggesting that they do. It's you know it's that very nineteen seventies advert in a way. Very, and where's the selfish? Yeah. I mean, it's not the mother being selfish because she won't let you give a bottle. It's you being a selfish prick because you <laughs> you're trying to push in before the baby. <laughs> but you know that it's. I'm sure some partners do end up acting in a selfish way. Like oh, they that, do. But, I've heard stories. Good stories. Yeah, they, it's a real insult to really good men and partners who would never dream of doing that that they'd see how important that breastfeeding was to the mother and their baby and want to support that and they see their role as the supporter and carer for her and they feed her rather than wanting to feed the baby and they do other things you know more housework um caring for her in other ways and it, it's it's really belittling of of how good a dad they are yeah yeah that was a bit that got me I thought what an insult to good blokes yeah <laughs> yeah right now we're gonna get personal I think we've, <laughs> do you think we've ranted enough <laughs> oh probably I'm, so, I'm slowly easing down <laughs> <laughs> let's get personal do you have a tips up we're doing a complete 360 year. do you have a personal mothering experience a tits up mothering experience that you can share with our listeners have you got three kids or four three i think three. Yeah, that's one of them <laughs> <laughs> from apart from not knowing their names half the time and getting them mixed up i have to say when, when one of the most recent ones i've had was um during lockdown and 
so my kids are older now so they're they're 15 13 and 11 or they're, they're about to get a year older because they all get older in the summer um and, and this was just a complete sort of mothering brain freeze so I, I should point out that at, at this point they were old enough to be on their own so I don't need social services involved <laughs> but I remember being at home and it was lockdown so they weren't at school so they were at home and realizing that I need to go to the shops so I did that thing you do before you have children where you just literally pick up your car keys and your shopping bag and you go to the shops and the whole time I was thinking I've forgotten something <laughs> I don't know what I've forgotten. And I realised it was my children. And I'd completely forgotten. They weren't on the, in the young tassied on the driveway. <laughs> it was sort of like the older version of leaving your baby outside of the shop or the car seat. And it was just the funniness of it that I'd kind of, when I was halfway around the shop, I suddenly realised, oh, yes, I forgot the children are at home. I didn't say I was going out. I didn't say goodbye to anybody. <laughs> There's this complete brain freeze that they sort of existed in my head. And I just stopped in the middle of the shop and laughed, which, of course, made everybody else go, why is there a mad woman laughing in the shop? And I thought, I can't exactly explain that I forgot that I had children. And of course, they were they were older. So I got home and nobody had realised that I'd gone at all. <laughs> nobody had yeah, nobody had looked up from the screen and the computer game they were playing. But it, it was just like, oh, amazing. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> These poor women trying to load their kids and babies in the car and get to the shops and wonder how on earth they're going to manage when they do get there and who's going in the trolley and who's yeah. <laughs> going to run right and grab all the apples or something. <laughs> But yeah, that, that was happened, the one that... Finally. <laughs> so. oh, now, how can people follow you and your work? Now, you've got 10 books. Yes, I, yeah. Um, so I am on social media under Prof Amy Brown. Um, if you don't follow me on there, you'll find me on Instagram and Facebook. You've got a really Twitter. good Instagram. <laughs> and um, I'm usually ranting on that. Um <laughs> And I have a website as well, which is professoramybrown.co.uk. Um, on there, you can sign up to my newsletter. And apparently, you can also sign up to be on an automatic list where my website sends you out any blogs I write. I only discovered this when somebody told me the other day that I've been <laughs> sending people automatically blogs. Who knew? Um, <laughs> the mysteries of my website. But so you can, there's loads of stuff on that website. It's got um, all my books on there that you can buy signed copies of, but it's also got all the kind of free talks and podcasts I've done over the years. So there's loads to see on there. There's all the, I've collated all the articles I've written in the media. Um, I'm trying to get all my research on there, but it's a slow job because I'm trying to find papers that you can access freely and, and get them there. But basically it's everything that I do on that website that you can access. So. And it's a great website. We'll put links in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> under this so people can actually you know find it because they may not remember yeah. as they hear it you know we've got, all got mum brains like you yeah. for getting <laughs> children <laughs> and just finally what's your best tip for the listeners on how to be the mother you want to be oh listen listen to your own instincts do what you want to do and don't underestimate the importance of what it means to you. So it is about really treating yourself as, as you would treat your baby or other people and being kind and supportive to yourself. 
I think we're far too tough on ourselves sometimes and we beat ourselves up over things that we think we've done wrong. Um, we don't give ourselves enough kindness. We don't allow ourselves opportunity to, to grieve the bad things that happen. And it is just that putting ourselves first in that way too. So remembering to care for ourselves, I think, as, as well as everybody else. I love that. Be as kind to yourself <laughs> as you are to your baby. I think that, you know, we need that as a meme. <laughs> <laughs> Or a poster on buses or outside yeah. airports, airports. <laughs> escalators. Be as kind to yourself as you are to your baby. I think that's really important. So thank you, Amy. This has been a thank great you. fun chat. It has. Um, yeah. Tits up, ladies. Pull up your big girl pants. We can do this. We are mothers. In the spirit of reconciliation, I acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the traditional owners and custodians of this country and their connection to land, water and community. We pay our respect to them, their cultures and customs and to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tits Up. This podcast was produced by Dave Stokes. For more information, connections with our guests and special offers from our show sponsors, please pop over to my website and check out the show notes, www.pinkymccabe.com. I would love it if you could please share the love by leaving a review. Five-star reviews will help other mums to find this support and information too.